Today's episode of the Magic Hour is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add your flash briefing on Alexa and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Okay, welcome to this week's edition of the Bulls Traveling Cocaine Circus. Just kidding. <laughs> yes. Just kidding. It's the magic hour here at the Forum Club here at the Athletic LA. Of course, the new version of the Forum Club, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, uh, because there is no basketball we're now talking sports movies. Um, this week, the film, last week we did Rocky Three. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening and some of the feedback we got. We really appreciate it. This week, we have moved on to, uh, in honor of the NFL draft, Andy, which is this week. Yeah. Coming up uh, Thursday, it's going to be the first, uh, to the best of my knowledge, virtual draft. That's right. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how the People NFL are talking about this. It's super complicated. We've been doing virtual <laughs> drafts for fantasy football yeah. for years. That is true. And and by the way, this year, uh, Bulls Cocaine Circus is going to be a very popular. Yeah, yeah fantasy Bulls game. traveling Cocaine Circus. Um, that vo- it's hard for a it's hard for a, a Cocaine Circus not to travel. It, it's not one of the one of the more sedate you know sedative drugs. I would uh, I would assume anyway. Like Michael Jordan, it does make you want to. It does make you want to get up and move. That's true. Oh yes, <laughs> it's um, often that by voice, the way a good idea. Yeah, yeah, our our guest this week, that voice you hear, uh, he is our, our colleague. Uh, a little, I, I, I like to think uh, of him as that. I'm not sure he likes <laughs> to think of us as that. Uh, why would I not? Why would I not think of you as I that? The only issue right now I have vis-a-vis the two of you uh, is that you share a fraternal bond, which I find intimidating. Like when this uh-huh. is over, you're going to text each other about me and uh, it, oh. it, it, like this is a triangle and you guys, Ethan, you guys are connected. we don't even connected. need to text. It, we can just do it with a look. Oh, God, <laughs> a nod. That's terrifying. An eyebrow raise. Anything will do. Uh, he is the Completely author terrifying. of The Victory Machine, uh, The Making and the Unmaking, uh, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. He is Ethan Sherwood Strauss. Thanks, Ethan, for coming on. We appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited to talk about the movie that uh, we are set up to discuss, too, I should say. All right. So Any Given Sunday is our movie this week in honor of the NFL draft. It takes place in a fictional league, though, ostensibly, though, one with a draft. There's your hook. And it's about football. So... Uh, as we like to do, we'll start with the lineup of this film. There are 9,000 characters in this movie. So settle in. <laughs> Al Pacino is Tony D'Amato. Jamie Foxx is Willie Beeman. Dennis Quaid is Jack Cap Rooney. Great name for a veteran mm. quarterback. Uh, Christina Pagniacci, played by Cameron Diaz. James Wood pl- Woods plays Dr. Harvey Mandrake, <laughs> which to me sounds like the name. Like if somebody put a gun to your head and you immediately had to come up with an alias that yeah. had to be a doctor. You would spit out Dr. Harvey Mandrake. Like that total, would be the name. Ho- total hotel fake check-in name. <laughs> it is the worst name I've ever heard. Uh, LL Cool J plays Julian Washington, Lawrence Taylor, Luther Shark LeVay. Cindy Rooney is played by Lauren Holly, and Margaret plays uh, Cameron Diaz's mother, Margaret Pagniacci, and looks basically like she just rolled off the bed uh, in Tommy, the big bean scene, and into this movie. Um... Montezuma Monroe, Jim Brown, Dr. Ollie Powers, played by Matthew Modine, Nick Crozier, which is actually a great football name, played by Aaron yeah. Eckhart, uh, John C. McGinley plays Jack Rose, basically playing Jim Rome, and Elizabeth Berkeley. Yes. As Mandy Murphy. Playing yeah. a hooker without a heart of gold. Like, That's right. <laughs> no. no heart of gold whatsoever. 
Nope. She is not a dancer, nor a whore in this movie, um, but looks spectacular as Elizabeth Berkley did. Um, okay. So Andy, what's interesting about this one too, is obviously directed by Oliver Stone. It's a weird time for Oliver Stone. Kind of like between eras. Yeah. I mean, Oliver Stone actually, uh, through the research I've done about this movie, is he was really, and he, he's admitted, he was really unhappy after Nixon tanked a few years before this movie. And the movie that came in between Nixon and any given Sunday, U-Turn, was also a bomb. And like even Natural Born Killers did fine, but it was not like a huge hit. And it came out the same year as Pulp Fiction, which was just a massive hit. And Oliver Stone was looking for a hit. And I think you can see it in this movie. Like it's as overtly audience seeking and I think overtly commercial as anything Oliver Stone has ever done, or at least probably since Wall Street, like in terms of picking football as a subject, in terms of the very video, you know, MTV video style shooting which we'd seen some in the doors and natural born Including killers. the actual video that they make for, yes, you know, uh, for Jamie Foxx. My name is uh, Jamie, Willie. Right. Like the, one of the catchiest songs ever to appear in a movie. Oh, it's strong. It is, it's an earworm. Um, it, it's strong, but like, it, it's an interesting movie, I think, because it, it feels like Oliver Stone, like through the lens of Michael Bay, like, it, like if somebody had told you, wow. if somebody had told you that this was, if you didn't know anything about this movie and you were told this is one of Michael Bay's lesser known early career, like ambitious movie. I don't think you could immediately spot the lie, Ethan. No, I completely disagree with you. Really? That, and I'm pushing back. Yeah. I think you are looking at this movie from 2020, uh, from the 2020 lens and not looking at what this appeared like in 1999 when it came out. This is a remarkably dark movie about America's favorite sport. Nobody had ever done oh, I, anything I don't disagree like with you on that kind. I'm talking purely visual. I, I mean, if, if Oliver Stone was trying to uh, seek a mainstream audience and pander, he just simply doesn't know how to do it because this is not the Remember the Titans, everybody feels good. I mean, you have that speech by Al Pacino, but it is an expose. It shows you that this thing that you love is sick and demented. Oh, I, Ethan, I, oh, I actually, I think I like this. Speech, I, I, I think it actually comes off. As I agree with you. I think he was looking for a hit. I, I also think he doesn't know how. Like, I, okay, I think let's let's, let's just let's go to so this meet in the middle because yeah. let's let's in fact let's let's sort of skip performances here for a second and get to what Ethan's talking about here, which to some degrees is is, is the authenticity argument uh, and, and question of, of any given Sunday because there's and I know what Andy's talking about here. From like a movie making standpoint, the movie is insane. Like the amount of jump cuts and like you remember Ethan, even in the first scene, like it's the loudest. I had to like it's the loudest yeah. movie I've ever seen in my life, like ever. And you know the, the when when they run into the Gatorade table, the sound effect they use is an auto accident. <laughs> like it's not like mm -hmm. cups falling off a table and there's lightning for no reason and thunder and all <laughs> when it's not raining and all this stuff. Is going on and it's nuts. Like it's like it's on coke. Um, it is but like Miami. that's true. Um, well, and Lawrence they're actually Taylor's doing. Are they doing drugs at the Dare thing? Yes, they are. Yeah, there's a lot of coke in this yes, movie. There is. I mean, this is really the traveling cocaine. <laughs> but the flip Sunday. The flip side of it is though what what even though I think what you're getting at in terms of an authenticity thing, like every single issue that we talk about today in terms of pro football. 
is in this movie. All of yeah. them. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not Kenny Chesney, The Boys of Fall, this movie. Uh, this is a darker take, uh, but it also, I mean, look, I'm, I'll put my cards on the table right now. It's a good movie. I mean, there are some aspects of it that are ridiculous. Uh, I think they were forced to adopt a fake football league because no way would the NFL want to be associated with this. The NFL but, actually I mean, even pushed back hard against this yeah, movie. They were yes, not happy about it at yes. all. Yeah. But the Pantheon Cup is a ridiculous airsat Super Bowl. Thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's it, the Harvey, Dr. Harvey Mandrake of trophy names. Yeah. And there's something also that happens where when you have a fake league and you have fake team names and fake mascots, it's not inherently sillier than the real thing. But we're just so uh, we're just so used to the real thing. It's like when you go to another country and you see one of their music videos and you're laughing about how crazy it is. And then you realize that our own music videos are just as crazy. But for some reason, you just think that. You just think that uh, you're just you're you're um, numb to the absurdity. I don't There's know. There's something Those about Dallas when they Knights have uniforms are pretty ridiculous. <laughs> they are they are pretty ridiculous. I don't know. I I, I remember. I I, I rem- Okay, this is a big detour. But I remember when I was a kid, uh, and we were reading some we were reading some book that had been translated from the original French, and I guess it was a Christmas Christmas book in nature. And I didn't grow up believing in Santa Claus, but. Uh, in the French version, it's Papa Noel. And instead of flying around with reindeer, Papa Noel is on a donkey and he goes from house to house dropping off presents. And I remember all my classmates were just laughing at how stupid this was, like Santa on a donkey. And I just remember thinking to myself, I don't know, the flying reindeer thing is pretty crazy, too. <laughs> and so I guess what I'm saying led is... Led by the one with the glowing red nose. Yes, le- exactly. Led by the one with the glowing red nose. So... Yeah, what we're used to doesn't seem so absurd, but once you start creating, like, sports is so silly, but it takes itself so seriously that we get used to it and we forget, and when you create a fake team with fake names, we're reminded of a lot of the silliness. But still, I think it's a great movie overall. Oh, I, I, I want to make it clear. I was going to say, like, the, 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 the checklist of, of issues that Oliver Stone is on top of in this movie is remarkable because I don't, I mean, again, I wasn't, I wasn't a sports writer in 1999, but I don't remember this, all of this stuff being talked about in the same way other than black quarterbacks. No, absolutely. I mean, the, the moral, like the moral ethical dilemmas about putting players on the field in terms of their health and like what is required and the long-term ramifications, you know, there's that scene where Harvey Mandrake gets called out by uh, Tony D'Amato Al Pacino about the treatment of Lawrence Taylor's character, who clearly should not be on the field, and pushing him to get on the field and lying about medical records. And James Woods' character, Harvey Mandrake, is just like, look, who am I to tell these guys? Not- <laughs> we have to say his name every single <laughs> yeah, time, Dr. Do. Harvey Mandrake. We do have to say Dr. Harvey Mandrake. But, I mean, he's like, Harv, Harv, <laughs> Harv to his H- friends and his, H- and his underage girlfriends. Uh, of which there yeah. are a lot. It really turns out, by the way, that James Woods, we didn't know at the time, is just playing himself in this movie, mm. like attitudinally and uh, as far as the rumors go. It's a little like shades of the character he plays in Casino. Yeah. In I mean, there, there was a lot of James Woods at the time telling on himself that we really didn't realize in the pre-internet age. But like, it's also it's also weird to watch a guy who's just gone batshit insane. Like bef- mm. in the tw- like twenty years before he went batshit yeah. insane, yeah, because he's he's gone batshit insane. But like, yeah, he's 
he is both right and wrong, James Woods, in, in the way he's talking yes. about this. Like he is, he is, as far as a doctor, being completely unethical and immoral, and he knows this. But in terms of what his actual job is and what he really, at the end of the day, is paid to do, which is put these guys on the field so they can win games and the team can make money and the league can make money, he actually, and to ultimately tell these guys what they want to hear, he is actually yeah. doing his job. And, and this isn't the way football, football's talked about this in this way now, but it really wasn't examined in the same way then. And that's just one of the many things that I think any given uh, Sunday, for all of the lack of subtlety and presentation with this movie, it actually gets into a lot of gray areas and gets into them really smartly. Oh, yeah. And James Wood's character has been validated because we all learned about CTE. It was a big national conversation. People thought it might completely topple the football edifice. And a bunch of guys who wanted to play football, knowing the risk, all shrugged, and they did as Lawrence Taylor's character did. So, yeah, it seems like even knowing the risks, a lot of the guys love this so much or are drawn to it so much. Well, it's also, they anyway. also understand the incentive structure. Like, they get into that, yeah. too. Like, you gotta, you, you, you have, like, five, five years or whatever it is. You gotta get your bonus. You gotta get all this stuff. Like, if I don't get it now... I'm done after this. Like Lawrence Taylor uh, needs that whatever it is, million five for that last bonus because he knows he's basically done. He can't get it anymore after this. We can get into some of the absurd aspects of the movie, but I, I will defend this movie in part because I think it's a very well acted movie and surprisingly so because you have a lot of non-professional actors at the time who completely crush their roles. And you can say, yeah, they're playing themselves or yeah, they're playing... People in the sport, we've seen Space Jam with the aforementioned Michael Jordan. A lot of these guys, when they get in that setting, are stiff. Lawrence Taylor is yes, excellent. He is. He's really he is. He's re and we, we knew that James Brown could act like well before this. He'd been oh, doing it for years. And James Jim I, Brown, I don't say. I, I do Jim Brown, Jim Brown. I don't know I don't, James Brown. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get strokes. I give him, motherfucker. I mean, that that he is incredible. Yeah. And he has more subtle scenes than that, too. Um, the football players really crush their roles. And then uh, Jamie Foxx, obviously, I mean, I, I Jamie Foxx is just face acting during the Al Pacino inches speech, vaults the movie to another level. He does a great job. Um, Pacino, perfectly cast as a beleaguered aging football coach at that point in his career. And whatever this movie's extravagance is, Whatever its flaws, I think that one of the reasons beyond Oliver Stone's crazy prescience um, is the acting is is impactful. Well, what's what's funny about it, Ethan, is that the movie itself is over the top. The production, sort of Andy was alluding to, is over the top. Like you know, Ben Hur the in the behind every scene and yeah. gladiators and lightning and auto crashes, car car crashes and everything. But the the performances are not like the performances are actually relatively understated, save, you know, Anne Margaret's uh, indicating a little bit. Uh, I have an alcohol problem, but, you know, the yeah, but then again, she is such the perfect uh, wife of an owner that I oh, will sure. give it for sure. And like <laughs> all of that, like, but like, you know, Pacino yeah. and it's seven years after Hua, you know, but like, you know, he's he's not over the no, top actually, in this movie at all. This is a role like you would think. Al Pacino, like in that period, 
Right, Al Pacino in 1999. Right, although, although this it's up. interesting though, like I and I've gone back and thought about this because I remember when I saw the movie in the theater in 99, I didn't love it, and a, a lot of it was presentational. And I think some of the presentation <laughs> left deaf. I think some of the presentation made me think about the performances different than they really were, including Pacino, who at the time had taken a lot of flack for you know, the hoo-ha uh, stage of his career, like after Son of a Woman. But if you actually look at what's going on in Pacino's career at this time, other than Devil's Advocate, which actually, I love that movie. It's a lot of fun, and Pacino should be over the top. He's playing the devil. Like, you've got Donnie Brasco, you've got The Insider, and a couple years later, you've got Insomnia. You actually have this stretch where Pacino is being, I think by his standards or by anybody's standards, pretty nuanced and more subtle and doing like really grounded good work. And I've come to realize yeah. that he was actually doing that in this movie more than I actually gave it credit to when I'd forgotten, like yeah, I'd when, forgotten. in watching it more, you know, recently a couple of years ago. And then, you know, in prep for this show, Pacino could have gone way, way more over the top than he did and probably was expected to. And I think in some ways, People saw it as, or at least myself, saw it as more over the top than it actually was. He's terrific in this movie. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, he's terrific. It's not overstated and maybe a transition to how he's become a really good, I think, senior citizen actor. Um, if I, when I watch The Irishman, I like a lot more of what Pacino was doing in that movie than De Niro, since that's the obvious comparison comparison point um so maybe he he eventually learned over the course of the 1990s how to tone it down and th this movie think, go ahead Brian. oh go ahead andy uh, no go ahead this movie too was it, it can't be said enough because i i think it's the best overall performance in the movie but what it meant to jamie fox because at the oh. time he was basically just known for his sitcom and you know movies like booty call and he was just considered this broad comedian and oliver stone didn't want him and apparently his first audition was terrible, and Oliver Stone told him it was terrible, and Fox had to really lean on his, uh, his background as a high school quarterback to help try to sell Oliver Stone, but Fox is really good in this movie. It's his first dramatic role, and to be totally honest, his character is all over the place. In, I was about to say, it, it, works, really about, it works exactly, and I think that to me is one of the most remarkable things about all the performances in this movie. If you start to break down, like, why is this happening again? Like the, the arguments, like the, 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 the stuff between uh, Leela Rashan and, and Jamie Foxx, like that relationship goes from like two to 2000 yes. in like 30 seconds. You're like, where the hell did that come from? But yeah, each they, they of them, have, they've been together, they've been together, what, seven years and they have one fight. Right, and it's, and, and it's a, and just, all of yeah. a sudden it's like, because she didn't introduce me to the mayor and now you're like, and the whole thing goes insane. And by the way. The movie itself takes place over like four weeks. This all happens in. So it's all yeah. compressed into this ridiculous time frame, which is, again, I think why, Andy, you go back to, you know, why you remember it differently than, than certain things actually are, because the construction aspect of it with the production, with the, the, the timeline of the movie, which doesn't have to be that way. They could have easily started this in week three and let it build yeah. over the course of the season, but they don't. It's like the whole time I'm going, wait, what is their record? Like they, how, they, what is the, really I needed that, yeah, I needed they, that thing. Like, you know, were, also in contention, the playoff thing that you get at the end of every NFL season. Yeah. I was so confused by that. 
It was like it was like Oliver Stone didn't like montages, so they didn't do the classic thing of just having a more extended montage yeah. of when they're winning a bunch because it doesn't make how would Willie Beeman appear on Sports Illustrated <laughs> and ESPN the magazine that fast? Yeah, we we, it, we we need a little more proof of concept from our backup quarterback. Was ESPN usually. magazine biweekly or monthly at that point? I don't remember. Ah, I, I can't think, even I remember. It might have been monthly. Okay, so I guess there was uh, a possibility. But it yeah, would have been hard. Really fast. I mean, like really fast. This was like Lynn Sanity fast. Like the he way had the metrics, he had the metrics <laughs> commercial with the video in like yeah. ten days. Yeah, it was insane. They knew what they had. They knew what they had in Willie Beeman. <laughs> they they immediately. And, and, and guys, by the way, it's not even. It's not like he had a game where he went for fifty four. You know, no. If, and he was re if, and he was reading the paper. Yeah. In, in his first, I mean, I I understand what they're getting at, but like. I mean, he's reading the paper and literally didn't know a play. He didn't know any of the yeah. plays. And he, um, by, but so like, I think because of those things, you forget the actual performances, like even the scenes, like you say, Andy, where what he's doing doesn't make a lot of sense. He's still very Jamie good. Fox. He's so, Jamie he's Fox, so yeah. gifted. Jamie Fox is just such a gifted performer. And I guess maybe we just didn't know that then, but yeah, you're right. He should be undermined by that and yet he's so believable in every scene um and you're rooting for him even though he's a jerk in much of the movie um it's it's a truly great performance and deservedly so as far as it vaulting uh vaulting his career to a new place and i don't remember this movie as a hit do you guys it what, was what a solid that? hit it was not a massive hit it was a it, it was, was a, yeah. hit by a good oliver performance stone for an standard. oliver stone movie yes right yeah, I I saw it made fifty five domestic, over a hundred international, so they, it made a profit. Um, but it? I don't remember this as I don't. I have another theory. It's hard with sports movies. It's just really hard. We used to have more of them. Yeah. Now we have fewer of them. Normally, they need to be schlocky in order to be successful. Um, the hard bitten expose. It's not a great, not a great date movie. Uh, I'm almost surprised that it did as well as it did. Even though I, I kind of. Gotta be. I kind of love this movie. I kind of. You, love you didn't movie. find those uh, party scenes romantic, Ethan? Oh, <laughs> very, very romantic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the way women are treated in this movie. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't bring a date. Yeah, I know. Well, it, and it seems pretty realistic. Yes. I mean, the crazy thing, as completely insane as this movie is, having a scene where somebody. A, a guy gets his eyeball popped out of uh, it. Even, you know what, that part, that one it, even felt like a wink from Oliver. Even Oliver Stone knew that was ridiculous. Yeah, that, that was too. An actual it, eye. It, it, it's still probably the most realistic sports movie. In its own, I mean, it's probably the most realistic, if nothing else, football movie since like North Dallas 40. Like, you know, that really just goes warts and all. This is what it I'll, looks okay, like. I'll put it to you guys. We I'll put it to you care. this way. I'll put it to you this yeah. way and you tell me if you agree. I think if... Because the whole thing plays, because there is no subtlety in any of it, the whole thing plays yeah. like a list of things that you would talk about on sports talk radio, like the following minute. So like if this movie came out in the middle of a pandemic and we don't have actual games to cover, we spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday breaking down the issues that they talk about in mm. any given Sunday. Like I think yeah. that's what comes from and they hit all of them. I mean, even to the point of, Oliver Stone recognizing in 1999, like Nick Crozier, the Aaron Eckhart character is an analytics guy. Yes. Mm -hmm. They, that's what he, she, Cameron Diaz 
describes him that this way. was the original a, Sloan you know, conference. And he was talking about how I've got the probability. Yeah. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. They did, that was not a thing in 1999. No. no, certainly not in football. I don't even think it was in basketball yet. Well, here's the thing, though. Oliver Stone is in real life a big football fan. Like, I mean, he's grew up a football fan. I, I've heard an interview saying that he grew up idolizing Y.A. Tittle. Like, he, he knows the game and had been interested in doing um, a movie about the game. And is, is Y.A. Tittle in the movie? There's, is he one of the guys? Johnny Unitas. Johnny Unitas is the uh, the coach at the end. I I, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what he, he looks been, like to recognize him. He might have been him. dead, uh, in which case he wasn't in it. Well, it, it clearly is a love letter in some ways. I mean, you, you Dick Buckkiss is an opposing coach. There are all these little cameos. Oh, yeah. Barry yes. Switzer's um, in the movie. I mean, he, he yes. loves and knows football. And I'll be honest, because, you know, like Brian said, neither one of us worked in sports media at the time, or if we did, we were just getting started doing like a little bit of stringer work, but like, I don't think we, I don't think we, we weren't, I had ne- I don't think to that point I'd ever been in a locker room, you know, much less been around NFL athletes, you know, just professional sports in general. And, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this too, Ethan, and we're definitely going to get into it because I think there are commonalities to this and the victory machine and some of the details that you, that you mine in that book. Like once you start, that's learning, Ethan's new book. That's once you start <laughs> learning more about the dynamics and the agendas of professional sports and locker rooms, and and especially too, because I think now in the age of 24-7 media and social media, we're just more attuned to this stuff in general. Not only did I not realize when I saw this movie how right it was about a lot of things, I think a lot of audience didn't realize it. I think a lot of critics didn't realize like just how far ahead of really- A lot of- I love this point. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. I just love the point that a lot of people were probably watching that movie going, oh, look, at it. it's exaggerating. They're really giving they're really giving it the Hollywood treatment. You know, this whole this whole football team. That's not that's not how football teams are. And actually, this is what happens in the hyper masculine crucible that is pro sports. And nothing was more realistic to me than just the energy of the locker room and guys yelling and practical jokes and it, it has an edge even if they're having fun it just has this edge to it that you will not get in say the office i worked for when i worked for <laughs> no. well i mean did you got would it be only because you guys don't shower together well yeah or, I, I, mean, know, I, did I don't know i didn't work i didn't work for you i didn't work once, for you that was one yeah but like you know it's stuff like that like there's a version of this movie where you leave out the eyeball all the crash cuts, the lightning, the Ben Hur stuff, the alligator, and the and the sl- probably a little too racist uh, offensive lineman. Um, <laughs> I mean, but you know that that stuff isn't there in a different version of this movie. And the alligator, it probably wins an Oscar. <laughs> I mean, he was trying to bite those black guys. I did notice that, but yes, you were saying. Sorry, you were well, saying. I, okay. it's just, it's, if you take that stuff out, it's actually like a really sober-minded look at football. Okay, here's an interesting thought experiment. Um, <laughs> apparently, Warner Brothers, and this makes sense because the guy I'm about to name has worked with that studio since like the beginning of time. Clint Eastwood at one point had been attached to direct this movie, but he wanted mm. to play the Pacino role. And for whatever reason, that ended up not happening. And then you end up with Oliver Stone and you end up with Al Pacino. But the Clint Eastwood version of this movie is a very, very different presentation that, like Brian is saying, 
probably would have looked more high minded than significantly more patriotic. And I bet the NFL would have cooperated. Uh, Oh, they probably with Clint Eastwood, whatever whatever you say, Clint. Yeah, you put a you put an NFL owner in front of Clint Eastwood. They're just going to agree to anything. Um, By the way, Y.A. Tittle uh, is one of the people who has a cameo in this movie. I'm not shocked. Um, Also, Ricky Waters playing Ricky Waters. I I don't know if Clint Eastwood would have been right for this, even though I want to see that movie. Um, I just love Pacino just conveys better all we he conveys a better sense of life having beaten the shit out. Oh, yeah. Versus versus. You know, Clint Eastwood's steely resolve is great for a lot of different movies, but I just feel for this character, for this character, and for the inches speech. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I want. Pacino. Oh, yeah, but, but plus, you, you you want a guy who looks like he's been the coach in Miami for twenty two years or whatever it is. But, but to Brian's point, <laughs> yeah. though, if if you have the Clint Eastwood version of this movie, it's going to likely end up the more critically acclaimed movie, particularly at that time mm. for Clint Eastwood. Even if it doesn't go to some of the places that Stone goes to, because I think Stone would be naturally more curious about this stuff and naturally more vigilant than Eastwood would, it probably doesn't end up, even if you don't know it at the time, as profound of a movie in terms of the things that it's exploring, even if it ends up probably more of a critically acclaimed movie. Yeah, I I agree on all counts. And- the more we talk about it, and even if we've got our issues with the jump cuts and the MTVization and the, the weird compressed timeline, God damn it, it's a great movie. Great movie. I, 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 it I've keeps getting it better. Every, every, two, every two or three minutes, the movie I, gets better. I've, I, I've seen it three times now. Um, I, you know, I liked it when I was really young and saw it, although, I mean, I, I, don't, I didn't think too deeply about any of the themes. I liked it better. The second time and the third time, um, I just enjoy it more and more. And I think that's partially owed to the prescience, just that the themes just get themier with every year. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I was just saying like you and you know how like in terms of the well actedness of it, like it's it's a really hard movie to see. Even Elizabeth Berkeley is good. Yeah. She is she's not traditionally. Good. She's not a good actress. Not traditionally. No. Um, you no. said even, I would say uh, the, the themes, um, I, I guess, and for yeah. you as well, Brian, like in terms of what gets brought up in the movie, what do you think is the most interesting one that, that they explore? Uh, first, Ethan, then, then Brian as well. I think the most interesting one that they explore is what they're trying to get out of this and why they're willing to risk everything for it. Just the idea of subjecting yourself to a lifetime of pain for something ephemeral um, and that and to have that process be edifying in this world of muck, you know, this this den of iniquity that is professional sports with the sex and the backstabbing and uh, the selfishness and the ego. But at the same time, but at the same time, just just being willing to to do something that's almost noble and heroic and um, reflects on that, that opening quote, right. About uh, the man having exhausted himself in battle and how there is something pure. The, the idea to me is the, the, the contrast of the sordid with the pure is what's so interesting about this movie to me and remains interesting about pro sports to me, how they can coexist. And there's always this tension. Ethan, I'm sorry, I, I, I missed the first part of that. Were you talking about sports or sports writing? Because both descriptions seem the same. 
<laughs> um, yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit different. Fewer, fewer, fewer crazy traveling cocaine right, with, parties. With, with the, the like, with what you just described, is there a profession where like two things that are linked that closely together are that vastly different? Because there's nothing sexy or any of this. Like the, all, none of the things that you said, other than I guess the misogyny, um, applies nah. to sports journalism and sports writing in terms of the world. Oh my god, well, you really crystallized I, yes, it there for me. My life is nothing yes, like these people. Yes, yes, and no, because it's like any job. There are matters of ego and people wanting credit, and you know our job is public facing, so it shares that aspect. But it's it's very much scaled down. It felt different. It's very much scaled down to me. And at there, least there are different. It's an interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting question, Andy, because like, yeah. and I think Ethan's getting to it. Like, to some degree, I think this. I know we've had a debate over how good is Cameron Diaz is in this movie, but um, yeah, I don't or not. We we've been omitting her in right. The list I, was, I, I have been meaning to steer back to there, and I think we can she get to there in a second. You know, it's like she didn't hurt the movie, but she didn't help it. I either. think and here's where I think the world plays into it. And some of the, again, some of the themes of why, what exactly is it that we want from our sports and want from our athletes and demand of them as fans? You know, like of course you're supposed to go out and play and get your shot and whatever. You're being paid two million dollars a year. I don't get anything. I have go to work when I don't feel good either. It's like, wait, what, what, what are we asking of our athletes as, you know, commodities for our own entertainment? The misogyny throughout the movie, which is, I think, a really accurate point that's thrown at Cameron Diaz, like she owns the team. And when she walks yeah. through the locker room, basically everyone just wants to fuck her. Like that's, that's Jamie the Fox, deal. Uh, Willie B actually asks, asks her, her out. out. He's been a oh, starter yeah. for like two weeks. And he asks right. her out. He does have a metrics I mean, video at that point, though. So I mean, that's that that's and that's highly realistic. I mean, I was I uh, don't want to get too derailed, but I was um, smirking years ago um, when there was the uh, God. How do you even refer to this? What am I allowed to say or not say on this? Podcast? I don't know. I just it's dropped an f bomb. So it's a very good question. Like you remember the obviously the Donald Trump uh, grabbing by the pussy that whole deal when he said that, and obviously terrible thing to say and uh you know in a normal political cycle probably completely submarines your campaign for understandable reasons but i remember athletes were responding to it and saying that's not any locker room i've ever been in that anybody would say that and i remember thinking to myself at the time yeah trump's a jerk but uh i've heard stuff like that in locker rooms i mean it's a pretty gross it's pretty gross like compared to although i will say it's gotten a lot different you know, it has. It's, like, it there's ha- more. It there, there has been a sea change. So there but, has been a sea change. But, but, but I, you know, I, just yeah. in, in terms of like why I kind of buy Cameron Diaz in term, and, and why I think it fits what you were talking about, Ethan, in terms of the themes of the movie. She's out there, kind of play at, like she. You feel to me is sort of play acting this role of being an owner. Yes, and like she knows her stuff. And she, you know, Cameron Diaz in real life is a monstrous football fan. So like they didn't have to teach her like this is a football and this is what like she knows what she's talking about. She loves football. She loves sports. But like she isn't taken seriously in this role as the owner of this team. And I think part of the awkwardness of the performance comes from the thing, whether she's doing it or not. But part of the reason I, I can I sort of accept it more than other people do is because I think it's kind of part of the fabric of the movie is. She isn't supposed to feel 
totally believable because nobody believes her. She and she she's overcompensating. Yes, and she's trying to. That's be the word I'm looking for. That's why so you have a book. hard edged and yes. curse so much. And there's really no sense of vulnerability at all. And maybe that's an error in the writing. Um, but the 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 basically the way that the part is written, it's almost like written for a man, but for everybody treating a man like with the disrespect that a woman would face. Um, as the owner of a football team. Isn't she more credible, this... at least, than Mark Davis? Can we all agree that Cameron Diaz... <laughs> well, that goes... If that, you have that to choose between the two of them as the owner of your team, you'd want Cameron yeah, Diaz and not Mark Davis? Certainly, but, the, you know, this is more of a critique of just the, the acting performance where, unlike, you know, Pal, Al Pacino dialed it down. It felt like she, she could have stood to have dialed it down a little bit. Just, just dial it down a little bit, seem more like... A human being. I just feel like the as, overcompensation part was part of the world and part of the role. Maybe I'm giving mm, her too much so credit. You don't, so there aren't any actresses that come to mind where you think they should have gotten the role instead of Cameron. I, I think oh, it, I'm sure there. Are, I'm sure there are a, a hundred of them. Yeah, but and, like and you know, I like. I again, you need a twenty. How old was she in 1990? She was like 26, like you need a, something like that. So you need like a mid 20s because she can't be. She can't be 52. I think if you she can't be somebody who's been in this in this world in this I, role. I probably for that long. prefer Sandra Bullock for this. I think if you put Kate role, Winslet in that role, she's much better. Oh, she's far. Yeah, Kate Winslet would do. Kate Winslet would and do and a great I job actually I like Cameron Diaz as an actress. And that same year, she's in Being John Malkovich, and she's fantastic. Like I actually think she's a good actress. I just think she's miscast in this role, which on top of it isn't necessarily that well written. Which I think doesn't do her favors oh, in a it's role not. that she's really not right. best suited for to begin with. To me, what I what I also found really interesting about this movie, and this I think leads into something I want to ask you about, Ethan, with uh, the Victory Machine, is just the amount of egos and agendas that go into professional sports, and like what you want out of winning. Like there's that scene mm-hmm. where Willie Beeman changes a play. And it costs uh, Julian Washington, LL Cool J's character, his touchdown, which affects his money. And Tony D'Amato is upset because he's being correctly second-guessed, which underscores that you know his owner and his offensive coordinator and the media, they're all second-guessing him as a dinosaur. So he's upset about this. And Willie is correct in the play call, except he's more concerned about his own agenda. And because of that, yeah. nobody will follow him. And this feels like stuff that ultimately you cover in the victory machine in terms of how winning doesn't mean the same thing to everybody on that Warriors team that eventually disintegrates. Yeah. Well, A, people don't just want to win. They want to be known as the reason for winning. Um, Anybody who says, I just want to win is a liar. Um, They want a substantial part of that credit. Um, it's a rare individual who who doesn't. And you often see fissures form when somebody, it's not that they're wrong, often. It's about how they go about being right that causes the issues. When I think of some of the issues that have cropped up between Draymond and Steve Kerr, I think Draymond's almost always right. You know, whatever he's mad about, he's got an insane basketball IQ. He's almost always right. But when he's gone too far, it's that he's wrong about being right. And with the egos involved in sports, that just happens so often. People feel, I know what I know. I don't have to soften at all. Again, it's a hyper-masculine crucible. Uh, You got a lot of people yelling over each other and trying to establish a hierarchy. Um, And so that 
creates issues as well. But the, the, the issue in my book that you don't necessarily see in any given Sunday um, is just the idea that a team, after they win a championship, not being sated by having done that. The disease of me slash more that Pat Riley talked about, uh, that, that was a huge factor, I think, in the Warriors' dissolution was just not getting what they needed out of ultimately winning, which, of course, you guys have had a up-close view of with uh, the Shaq Kobe Lakers. So I think that's something that's not captured in this movie that factored a lot into my book and obviously into the Warriors and a lot of NBA dynasties. But at the same time, though, just the idea that, you know, these different players, even if they're even if it's not a total apples to apples comparison, there's still just that concept of winning. Winning is the end game, but the means and the motivation for winning can be very different for very different uh, people and for very different reasons. And when you when you're talking about an NFL locker room or in this case, I guess, an AFA locker room with 50 something people and, you know, large staffs and a GM and an owner and stuff, you're going to have a lot of different reasons for wanting to win and a lot of different people wanting to go about it different ways. And I, I, it's, it's antithetical to the way we sort of romanticize sports, which is, you know, winning isn't oh. everything. It's the only thing, you know, Vince, well, Vince and Lombardi. We screw it up in a way because we don't distribute credit broadly. There's a bit of a Pareto principle here where credit will redound to maybe a couple people or one person will get, I mean, it feels well, particularly like particularly the NBA. I mean, that's, yeah, I think more than it feels like Michael Jordan gets 95% of the credit for what the Chicago Bulls did. And that's just, nobody's in charge of what the conversation is. Nobody's in charge of what the scale of it is, but that, that ends up happening. And that creates its own resentments because again, you know, a lot of people are going to factor into it and not just the players. Um, as you know, an NBA team is a massive, uh, not a traveling cocaine circus, but a traveling army. Um, and it, it matters. It matters if the people upstairs are competent. And if they aren't, it's not going to work out in most instances. So um, that's the other thing that screws things up is that you got a lot of egos and only a few of them are going to get fed for you guys reaching your collective goal. Really quick, too, before we move on to the uh, the question of timelessness, I, I also think, too, the way that this movie discusses race in the NFL, like, you know, when it comes to not just the black uh, black quarterback question, but just race, the dynamic in the NFL, when you have a league that has, you know, a predominance of black players and the power dynamic that gets established, you know, sometimes with the quarterback position, but certainly with the coaching position. And then ownership and front offices, they they bring up a lot of stuff that again in 1999 wasn't really getting talked about. Certainly, I mean, certainly yeah. not to the degree that it gets talked about now. It's the most NBA aspect of it too, because it's an unusual situation where Jamie Foxx has leverage over his coach in a way that NBA players often have leverage over over their coach, and that suddenly disrupts the dynamic and makes it. Uh, you know, Al Pacino, does he have the upper hand on Jamie Foxx? I don't know. I mean, not with Jamie Foxx's relationship with Cameron. I mean, not not with uh, Pacino's relationship with Cameron Diaz falling apart. And so, God, it is great on those dynamics. And I love certain moments of it, how uh, in a way Pacino 
racially condescends to Jamie Foxx when he checks into when he when he in his first game when he's talking about imagine you're back in the hood and he's giving them that speech and Fox doesn't really react to it. But then later when they're having that argument, not only does Fox bring it up, but he does like a mini Pacino imitation when he's bringing it up and throwing it back in his face. Wait, he refers um, to him every single time he talks to him as boss. <laughs> I mean, that's, not, a, that's says, not accidental. And, and Pacino says son again mm-hmm. and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet eventually they do forge an honest dynamic and come to some reconciliation. But yeah, I mean, again, this movie has way too much going for it to be looked at as a joke. Uh, one of my fa- way too much. One of my favorite parts, by the way, of the hyper-masculinity moments is, because we just talked about this scene, even Tony D'Amato's jambalaya, or as he calls it, jambalaya, it's spicy, because you gotta be a man, even just to eat his jambalaya. <laughs> like, everything <laughs> is a test of manhood in this movie. Which I think is realistic of sports. You know, that's that's the environment. That's what you're selecting for when you get a bunch of high testosterone dudes trying to beat the other dudes, uh, it informs a certain culture. And I don't actually look at that culture judgmentally necessarily. I just look at it as this is the terrain. You know, the Yelp office has this terrain. The locker room has that terrain. And there are some excesses and it probably needs some reforms. But you have to expect that it's going to be a little different culturally. But it's also, it's, it's even reinforced in weird ways, like you wouldn't expect uh, Cap's wife to react the way she does to no. like him. Oh, she's terrible. <laughs> she's awful. <laughs> oh my god, she's a horrible, horrible think, person. Here's here, here. Speaking of speaking of wise, my wife thinks that Dennis Quaid too old for the role. I I found it. He looked, you know, appropriately older quarterback to me. Where do you come down on it? He was well. He was. He, what I love about it too is he's thirty eight when they first mention his age at the beginning of the movie when he gets hit in the very expository line, you know, 38-year-old veteran quarterback Cap Rooney, uh, <laughs> his goes down, like, you really get a lot into that. Like, that's not exactly how sportscasters typically do it. Yeah. By the middle of the scene, when they describe him again, when they're putting him on the cart, he's 39. <laughs> that was quite a hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, it's a continuity here, but like... You should see the other guy. He's fucking 43. <laughs> I mean, they always talk about knocking in the beginning of next week. Like, in this particular case, uh, his birthday yeah. was the following yeah. week. He aged. Or maybe there, it's just like one... literally like, you know, like his, he was born at like 428, <laughs> whatever year it was. And that just I, happened I, I to will... overlap. But like, you know, it's I, like I, I, it's I will... as if somebody was like, no, no, no 38. His, his give, wife give one more, that way. But like, but Lila Rashawn is like, but you know, with Jamie Foxx, who is like, finally looks like he's going to make money. Like going to, she's like, I don't even like football. I liked you the old way. Like I didn't, I didn't care Mm. if you were good. So they do try to balance it. And, but like they, this life is, and the, what's reinforced is reinforced everywhere. It's reinforced by the doctors. It's reinforced by fans. It's reinforced by, you know, John McGinley's character who chews on the cigar and call, you know, is obviously playing Jim Rome and all this stuff. He's so great. Uh, yeah, it's I I mean, like it's a caricature looking thing now because typically sports cat, you know, sports talk, radio, TV talk. It's a little bit different now than it was in the late 90s. But then you go back and you look at it. It's like, oh, that is spot on. Like everything from his yeah. hair color to the stupid mustache beard, like goatee thing. It is like, a very 1990s facial hair that he was he was sport. Well, right oh, there. yeah. Um, it was modeled after Jim yeah. Rome. They've made no. Yes, bones about is, he is playing Jim Rome. Yeah. But Jim um, Rome isn't even Jim Rome anymore. 
Yeah, he's not. Um, Jim Rome is somebody where, man, very influential around the time of my youth. Just every Southern California uh, sports radio host I felt was doing what McGinley was doing and was doing to Jim Rome at mm-hmm. that point. Uh, they were trying to copy whatever that whatever that was. Um, and yeah, it became a bit of a sports talk monoculture from L.A. to San Diego. Um, let's see here. Where are we? Uh, we've so we've done, like, let's the, the timelessness of this movie, which is sort of the last thing we're going to get to before we get to just fun odds and ends. And, and we give it our rating here on the uh, Forum Club movie podcast. I, it's hard to call this movie timeless in like the way that we think about it, because all three of us have gone back through it and be like, oh, I totally forgot that was there. Or like in Ethan's case, like you were kind of remembered the other stuff and like forgot some of the absurdities of like the movie making part of it. I had completely forgotten that Pacino's performance was completely reasonable in the entire thing. Like all of this stuff, it's like, so it's hard to call a movie timeless when you can't remember any of the details. But, but at the same time, like it's so spot on with things that we talk about with football now, right down to it's not a running game anymore. Like dude, throw the ball, like everything yeah. about it from a football. So plus it is the best shot football movie of all time. Football is very it's, difficult to stage and they nail it, it in this movie. Okay. So that's the other thing I'll say about it in its defense. I feel like the way they show the chaos and yes, anxiety, yes. that camera trick of it almost warbling it creates the sense of what you think it would be like to be panicked and to be playing. And through they, they show it as chaotic, way more chaotic than you see in sports movies. And yet it tracks. I think that's very difficult to do to make it seem completely freaking you out. Um, you you would be nervous. You'd be puking like Jamie Foxx to be out here and the camera shaking everywhere. And yet, you know, I think the trick that they used was the kind of, juxtapose that against the slow motion completion of the play. And that was a good idea. That was a good idea to make it work. Another thing that I think has helped keep any given Sunday relevant that wasn't related to its prescience is related to something about the movie that really worked, which is the hatred between Jamie Foxx and LL Cool J is palpable. And the hatred between the characters feels real because apparently it was, and they fought on set, and that anecdote gets recycled every few years, and we're all reminded about it, and we're all reminded about the movie. Yeah. I mean, that that was a serious alpha dog moment where the two of them were, you know, got physical. Like, Pacino actually had to break it up. Like, that scene where Pacino starts yelling at them, it was because he actually thought it was going too far. Like, they're all in character, but the two of them were getting out of character. And, you know, apparently the whole set was just this hyper testosterone, you know, bubble dome. And, you know, Oliver Stone is known for wanting that type of chaotic set. He, he's somebody who likes to keep things really on edge. He likes to screw with his actors. And, you know, you've got a lot of guys in particular, too, Jamie Foxx and LL Cool J, who forget never having worked with Stone before. They're not really that experienced as actors, and both of them are in this place where they're, they're really looking to prove themselves. And, you know, in that type of setting, you know, in terms of what they're being asked to play, but also where they are in their real lives and their ages and all that stuff, it's not hard to believe that it could spill over into something that really got legit physical. Like LL yep. knocked Jamie Foxx out, knocked him out. And 
it it feels real. It's very earned. It, it works. Again, you had people who were not polished polished actors and didn't have any formal acting training, and not knowing what to do based on what I've read of the movie, they kind of just fell into certain ways of being that were captured, and they just they just used it. The the mutual contempt between the guy playing the quarterback and the guy playing the running. I, I also think another timelessness uh, element that works for the movie is Stone, I think clear, I mean, because he sees politics and everything, but I think he sees the political elements in the NFL and the way we as a society consumes it, how the league conducts itself, its appeal to an audience. And the league over time has grown only more politicized. And even before the mm-hmm. Trump era, it, it was moving in that direction. You know, I mean, the, the kneeling before the anthem thing. And, you know, that was something, you know, Trump ended up leveraging it in his campaign. He's leveraged it since becoming president as a wedge issue. But that was building anyway. And, you know, the the racial dynamics and, you know, how that can become a political, for lack of a better word, football in, in our culture. You know, that's that's something real. And I think that's something Stone recognized then. And it's only become well, more explored. Okay, I'm a li- maybe maybe I'm missing something. But I mean, what where did he go with beyond the mayor and the involvement of the mayor in the stadium and all that? I don't see much of I don't I didn't see much of the political. Maybe maybe I missed it. Where where was well, the I don't mean like literally politics in terms of elections and things like that. Although you are correct, like the way they talked about leveraging getting stadiums, that is something that is, you know, there are certain teams that become, you know, leverage franchises or or leverage cities. You know, Los Angeles had been that. Yeah. Uh Seattle's been that in the NBA, the Minnesota has been that before. I just mean in in terms of the way different issues, you know, for lack you know, race can be considered a political issue and, and sort of the way it bleeds into societal issues. And I, it, I think Oliver, uh, Oliver Stone saw those touch points. And I think it's something that he, you know, he looks for in pretty much everything that he does. And I think he would consider it political in a lot of ways, because I think he would say it, it gets back to just our cultural system. And just like the the it would be a more political movie if it were made today. I think back then there just wasn't that fissure as much. It was just assumed that everybody liked football in America about as much. And the Kaepernick situation has has turned football into something that's a little more uh red statey for for lack of a better way to put it, even though, you know, football is immensely popular in every state, but it's, it has more of that cultural connection now in recent years. And that would probably be got, gotten into in this movie if it were made today, I would think. Well, I just, other than the race stuff, nobody paid attention to the politics of, nobody cared. Maybe that's a better way of putting yeah. it, Brian. Um, yeah. All right. A couple of, I, I, this is, I, I think my favorite part of any movie, uh, or general conversation Fun little bits of things that you noticed over the course of this, whether it's trivia, uh, little things like I noticed Dennis Quaid, of course, ages uh, by a year uh, within about 45 seconds of, of the film. One of I am, as you noticed at the beginning, totally obsessed by the names that are in this movie. Like, it's really hard. And anybody who's ever written a script knows it's hard to give names. They all sound kind of fake when when you're actually doing it. But this movie, more than all of them, has some of the worst names, Dr. Harvey Mandrake, <laughs> but you have to give it up. Tyler Cherubini is the greatest backup quarterback name that you could possibly come up with. 
if I mean, if I met a person named Tyler Cherubini on the street, I would assume yeah. he was one of the 32 backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Played high school football in Long Island. Yes. <laughs> uh, always wanted to play. He always wanted to play for his uh, for for his Jets, who he rooted for from, a you know. Yeah, like my wife, like, we, we once shared a fantasy football team. And like the, the criteria that we based who we drafted on was whether or not my wife, when she said, touchdown, that guy. Like, uh, that's how we drafted. If, she, if it sounded right to her, we'd pick that player. If we didn't, if it didn't, then we didn't pick him. Like, if you just walked up and said, it was like, you know, Tyler Cherubini. Like, does that sound like if you were that just sounds, drafting backup quarterbacks, good. you would draft him first because that's the backup quarter, backiest name of all time. It's it's making me have an appreciation for Vinny Testaverde as a name. <laughs> um, I, I just hadn't thought about that name in a while. What a great oh, name. It's fantastic. Great Tyler Cherubini oh very quietly spent 12 years in the league and you, and you yes. didn't realize it. Like you never yeah. thought about it. But then all of a sudden you were like, wow, he's no. still in the league. Like, that could is you amazing. win? A, like if you could you win? Three games if your quarterback got hurt and Cherubini's your backup. Like this is such an easy well, conversation what are, what are, to have. What are some bad? What are some bad football names of good players? Because when the player is good, then we it gives their name a certain little uh, imprimatur, and uh, you know then we can forget it's a bad name. But there have to be some bad names. Uh, is it fair to say Ben Roethlisberger doesn't exactly roll off no. the tongue? <laughs> no, he's lucky to have a good nickname. By the he way, would not have been, he would not have been the first choice of my wife based on her touchdown blank name. Ben, Tom Brady, as basic as a name that it is, uh, you know, that just Drew Brees, you know, he plays quarterback. Just a, it's an American quarterback. quarterback name. Right? That's why Cap, Ro- Cap Rooney is a great oh, yeah. name for a quarterback. That's a quarterback name. It's like they nail it on that one. The only name in this movie that sticks out as, uh, as totally made up is Dr. Harvey Mandrake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite bit of trivia from this movie is that both the studio and for a while Oliver Stone wanted Sean P. Diddy Combs for Willie Beeman. And remember, it, wow. Diddy was, or he may have been puffy at this point. He may have been puffed out. I don't know which incarnation he was, but he was huge in that moment. This is like still when he was with JLo. And JLo apparently came down to like, his auditions and stuff and was there. And they, it, the problem wasn't that Diddy had no acting experience because he actually started taking some lessons leading up to his different auditions and stuff. And Stone said he was getting better. And we ended up finding out later on that Diddy's actually not a bad actor. He, he's given some good no, he's, performances. He can get him to the Greek. He's yeah, he's, he's really good in Monsters Ball. He's really good in the movie Made. The problem was he apparently could not throw a football to save his life. And was incredibly unathletic. And he was so unathletic, they couldn't even fake it for this movie. Right. Like not in like a, a Wesley Snipes, yeah. not good at basketball, but is a decent. I feel like athlete. Wesley Snipes, they, they almost exaggerated how bad Completely he was. agree. Because the director bragged about hiding it. And I, I just think. But he's, not, he's not, he's not a, like, ooh, like that guy, like, I thought that guy played in college or something. But Wesley Snipes, if you watch him in Major League, you watch him in whatever, what's the boxing movie he's in? Uh, Undisputed. He did Wildcats. He did like, you know, he's a good athlete. Like he can be an athlete. Like apparently like just the idea that Sean Combs could not throw. That's just a, yeah, the fancy way of saying that like Sean Combs probably not cut like Willie Snipes is cut. Um, But yeah, Sean Combs, you know, I liked him in these, uh, these aforementioned movies, but He's just no Jamie Foxx, man. Jamie Foxx is one of the greatest actors of his generation. Yeah, he's really I mean, good. This movie, 
this movie takes a real hit if if it's not Jamie Foxx. Um, I would I would think I agree with that. Um, I just it's love, hard to picture. Sometimes I think we just this. don't appreciate Jamie Foxx enough, and I don't know why that is. Um, but I often I often think that I probably think that every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I don't. How many pages? That. But I think it's how many enough. pages in the Victory Machine, Ethan? were devoted to uh, Jamie Foxx being underappreciated. You know I. I could have, and I actually cut a part that did include Jamie Foxx, and I'm not for joking. real, um, because he narrates um, the Steph Curry Under Armour commercial when Steph is really on his rise, and was uh, kind of featured prominently in the the Under Armour ads. And a lot of what he's saying in the commercial, in the narration, is heralding Steph Curry as this new player who does it from you know far away, and is. Jamie Foxx might be in my book now that I think about it. I don't know. Um, but it's it, just it's so this... big and so good. I can't remember what's in it anymore. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, so many wonderful insider so many details. Words, so many words, so many syllables, <laughs> uh, so many sounds that you know you could hear from me doing the audiobook. But yeah, he narrates he narrates the Steph Curry ad, and he does it in a very powerful, forceful way. And it's when Steph is on the rise before they lose in 2016. And he was actually overshadowing LeBron as the face of the league as a little guy who can shoot far away. So, yeah, you know, Jamie Foxx, uh, Jamie Foxx in a way, tangentially. Okay, so we've reached, I believe, the... He, he uh, did screw up the Rodman 30 for 30, though. I just had to get that in. <laughs> Sorry, I had to add that. Uh, we've reached Way the most important part, the, the most critical part of any uh, movie podcast, uh, the ratings... Here we do it on a one to ten ring scale. We count the rangs. Uh, we'll start with you, Ethan. You're the guest. Um, what is where does uh, any given Sunday come down on your rating scale? Whew. eight point five. Ooh, half a ring. Damn. You know what? Nine, <laughs> I was going to say you can't go a half a ring. That that that's not. Nine. I'll go nine. That was the social pressure. I didn't want to seem like an easy reviewer. You know, I live I live next to Berkeley. I can't have these people thinking that I love any given Sunday as much as I do. I have to choose a, a more pretentious thing if I'm going to be seen in this town. You know, I I love shark. I, I, I give charcuterie a nine and craft yeah. beer a nine. <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's a nine. I I it I love it. I'm entertained by it. There are lines from it I remember. There are scenes from it. Uh, I remember the Willie Beeman song is an earworm, as you said. The Inches speech is just a classic movie scene. I mean, my God, that's a classic movie scene. Um, yeah, it it all adds up to me. And when you when you add that Oliver Stone was psychic, not about who shot JFK, but about this Oof. and about football, you know, yeah. nine. I am going to give it eight. Rings and the real grade, I think it really should get is seven rings, but I'm going to give it eight rings for having actually been too harsh on it in the beginning and giving Stone mm. credit for being more right about stuff than I recognized in the moment where I wasn't fair to him. So, as a little bit of a makeup, I'm giving it eight rings, even though I think it really is a seven ring movie. Yeah, I, I am going to say, like, I, I feel like kind of the same way you do, Andy. Like, I in my head, before I rewatched it a couple times uh, ahead of the show, I thought it was like a three or a four. Like I remembered it being a totally ridiculous, completely absurd, overacted, everything is, you know, turned up to 13 and all that. 
And it's actually not true. Many things are. The directing is turned up to 13 and the, you know, the editing is, but the actual performances and what's happening in the story, it kind of isn't. And so when I watched it, I was like, this is like a six or a seven issue. And then just, you know, just listening to Ethan. <laughs> convinced me that this movie is, a, is no worse than a seven. So I bumped it up. I was like, is it a six? Is it a seven? It's a solid seven. And so I'm going with a seven, which gives it, I believe, a, an eight average yeah. because Ethan gave it a Here, nine. Here's my question. Which sports movies do you like better? Ooh. Well, I mean, you, you start getting into questions about like actual filmmaking versus, you know, what- Ethan, what you're going to get me down. You're going to push this thing back down to a five if you start making me answer that question. No, I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't look, I don't have a lot of uh, self-esteem invested in the rings rating of uh, any given Sunday. It's if you want to knock it down to a five, that's fine. But no, I asked the question. I'm curious about, okay, 90s era. I think you got to compare across eras and it's the tail end of the 90s. You know what 90s i think a lot of people would say bull durham i wouldn't, I wouldn't either I like actually. Better I'm, I'm not as big a bull durham fan as a lot of other people yeah um i mean yeah. I, this is a rant i mean brian will agree with me on this and this, the part of the problem is nobody's seen this movie but without limits is a better without limits is a 10 though yeah that's, that, a, 10. that's a fantastic phenomenon i i would say actually i think tin cup i, I haven't i haven't seen without Limits. Tin oh, cup, i think is a really good movie i would i I like Tin Cup. Uh, I like this better than Tin uh, Cup. White Men Can't Jump is a better movie than this. It's a better movie. No. Yes, it is. No. Oh, yes, it no. Is. No, it is not. Are you kidding no, me? I'm not kidding. Are you insane? I'm not kidding. Are you insane? I'm not. No. Oh, my God. You're, you're, you're just as bad as Zach Harper, who would say the same exact thing, and I reacted the same exact way. Um, oh, now you're going to come for... over and slap you with a white glove, sir. Ah, <laughs> uh, so, look, I'm sorry for reacting. I'm sorry for, for being LL. To your Jamie Fox or being Jamie Fox here LL and 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 getting so angry over it, but I mean, okay, White Man Can't Jump, a movie I have affection for. Um, I like White Man Can't Jump, and it's a great it's a great uh, artifact of that time. But you add some of the goofy elements with the Stucci brothers chasing them around. I mean, what was even what, what was the first, that? I mean, the there first some game. Julian Washington fumbles and it cuts to a shot of Cameron Diaz and Al Pacino's faces spinning overhead in the sky with lightning that I don't think had been there before because it had been sunny. If we want to start getting the silly stuff, man, we, we can go toe to toe. I, 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 I are all very you. poorly lit stadiums. <laughs> yes, I assure you. Even, they're, they're, there's they're, a scene in any given Sunday where you've got four I football players at a urinal peeing. And then all of a sudden, jump cut, they're naked. No reason, no explanation. I'm, like, how does, how does Rosie Perez even get on the Jeopardy set just because the security he the guard shot, helps her man. in? He hit that big <laughs> shot. And what an insane situation. <laughs> and Willie, uh, uh, Wesley Snipes acting like he did him a favor when he was risking his car to do Look, why they can jump is one implausible thing after another. It has. Some elements that I like. Again, I would give it the thumbs up overall. But I, I almost think that we need to do this again. You need to rewatch White Man Can't Jump. And uh, yeah, there, it's I, 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 I totally disagree. I totally disagree with you on this. Jerry Maguire is a better Completely disagree. Who? I mean, talk about memorable quotes. Jerry Maguire. Know? Ethan. Jerry Maguire is a better movie than any given Sunday. Here's the thing. I haven't seen Jerry Maguire in probably about 10 years. So... I don't know if I'm totally there, but what I do know is that Jerry Maguire, and this does matter. I mean, this sounds like a goofy way to judge a movie. If you have a few quotes that are all timers, 
I do bump you up. And any given Sunday, it has the great inches speech and it has the great Willie Beeman uh, fake ad, but it doesn't it doesn't have uh, it doesn't have the quotes in the way that Jerry Maguire has show me the money. You had me at hello. Um, I might even have another one that I'm forgetting right now. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be hard. It'd be hard to argue that Jerry Maguire is a worse movie. So you're saying it's better. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it in is over a decade. Is that why your book was so long, Ethan? <laughs> like that sentence? It, what my you book just is did. not very long. My book's like 220 pages, but quality pages. Um, Each page is yeah, huge, I, though. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm saying that I can't judge because I, I haven't seen, you know, probably not even 10 years, probably not even since when it came out. So I, I don't, I couldn't tell you, but probably. Give you a probably. Well, clearly you don't spend enough time watching cable television. Uh, <laughs> and it's at some point, Ethan, we'll have you back on and we'll we'll, uh, I guess, sort of reass- discuss, reassess uh, White Men Can't Jump or some some other 90s sports movies to try to figure well, out we, its place against. I did a Sunday. podcast on The Athletic with uh, Marcus Thompson and Zach Harper. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, yes. all my takes, you know, all my suspicions. Can we at least agree that Space Jam's yes. terrible? And is oh, that Space Jam is an can... awful movie. It's terrible. Thank you. It's, it's okay, awful. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we could find peace. Yeah. I'm glad we could find peace. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you start listening to these '90s sports movies, and we're probably missing a few. I yeah, mean, League of Their Own, it, Above it, the Rim. I mean, there, there's others. Searching for Bobby League Fisher the, is way better. I mean, there's a there are a lot of movies that are better than this one. Just just sport, in the '90s. Is that sports? Is that a sports movie though? You know, oh, look who's yeah, actually it is because it, it probably gets to the father son relationship in sports better mm-hmm. than any movie ever. Also, also known as the Wright Thompson, the father-son relationship in a sports <laughs> setting. He does it well. He's though. a genius. For, for, that is such an insidery joke. Um, <laughs> it's true. He's really good. He's, no, he's great. He's he's phenomenal. He's the I best. Mean, um, yeah, I haven't seen Searching for Bobby Fisher since I think. Go rewatch it. Theater. It's fantastic. Now that you have children, go rewatch it. I mean, that this is something that uh, Sports Illustrated would do every issue back in the day is say, is this a sport? Because nobody's ever really defined sports, just like Wittgenstein discovered that nobody's really defined what a game is. Um, and yeah, some people would say chess sports, I guess technically, but I just don't think of it. I don't think of chess as, as a sports movie. I, I just don't, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, uh, you're, uh, it does. well, that's a cool different runnings. argument for, that's a different cool, argument for cool. a different podcast. Cause eventually we'll cool. get to that one. Cause we're, I love we're, that. We're movie. just cool runnings, right? Um, all right. So, uh, this is, been, it is not even <laughs> close. Um, all right. So the book is the victory machine, the making and unmaking of the warriors dynasty. You can get it, uh, at Amazon. You got nothing to do. It's a pandemic. Go order the freaking book and sit and read it yeah. because you can, you've got the time. Um, Ethan Strauss is the author and lover of Any Given Sunday. Thanks for coming on, man. This is fun. Yeah, I, I had a hell of a time. This is fantastic. All right, thanks. I didn't have anything. I felt like I should have added something because I got caught. You know, I got caught in between promote your book and caught in between say the goodbye well <laughs> and you know convey that you had a really great time discussing the movie material and somehow it just sounded aloof and, and truncated well, that's because you, you were focusing on promoting the book i understand yeah <laughs> I the, the victory same. machine folks the victory machine it's a quarantine dream order today <laughs> i did the narration so if you are listening to this right now and thinking my god this is the most beautiful voice i've ever heard in my life uh i i if only i could find a place where i could listen to it continuously if you are that one person who thinks that <laughs> well people would always say like i wish do. i could get james earl jones just to read me the paper 
<laughs> they say the same thing about you. <laughs> the same exact thing. The new All right, James man. Earl thanks, Jones. man. Great. Congratulations on the book and best of luck with it. And uh, enjoy your pandemic. Oh, yeah. Enjoy. <laughs>